There's something outside. What is that? Talking Old Timers with Thomas Steenberg, which is um, obviously brought to you by the great folks here at Monster X Radio. Um, Thomas, I'd like to bring you on into the studio. How you doing? I'm doing fine, dear. I'm doing fine for an old timer. <laughs> well, you're not an old, old timer. You're an old timer with the O-L, no D at the end. I know, so I know. I would never call you old. <laughs> but um, I, you think? I hear you're having some weather your way tonight. Oh, yes. We have a winter storm. It's going to be minus 18 tonight. I've got water running so my pipes don't freeze. And I'm hoping Ooh. we don't have another power outage while this show is going on. Okay, good. You know, I'm, if, for our listeners, um if if he does disappear, we'll we'll try to get him back on as soon as possible. And over here in North Carolina, where I'm at, we have an actual thunderstorm going on, and the power's about, kind of been flickering a little bit uh, earlier. So we're going to try to get through this, nonetheless. So um, I'll tell you what tonight's guest that we have on the show for you is someone who um, I'm very fond of and who's very huge inspiration to myself and I know many other people, um, a lovely lady by the name of Kathy Strain. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard about Kathy. Uh, she is the Heritage Resource and Tribal Relations Programs Manager for the is it Stanislaus National Forest in Sonora, California, uh, she has a master's in anthropology and conducts research on native cultures and traditional Bigfoot beliefs. She has a book that's called Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters, Bigfoot and Native Culture that covers the subject in depth, including 154 stories from 57 tribes from throughout North America. She is also on the board of directors for the Nonprofit Alliance of Independent Bigfoot Researchers and a member of the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, who is one of my favorite uh, research teams here in the States. And um, I know they're doing a lot of great things down there. So let's go ahead and bring Kathy on into the studio. Uh, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Good. We appreciate we, you coming on. Having, <laughs> we're having storms too, but they're not as bad. And, and, and I wasn't aware I was an old-timer either, so... New information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, I absolutely, we were talking about, well, who can we get on the show that's just um, a wealth of knowledge in relation to the Bigfoot history? And, of course, I thought of you immediately. Um, you know, your book is just a go-to for me. I use it, you know, a lot of times when I'm uh, looking back at the history of and where some of the legends come from, and um, some of the stories are a little frightening. Um, but what I, what I wanted to ask you right off the, the bat, though, Kathy, is um, how did you get involved in the, the whole enigma of of Bigfoot to, in the beginning? Um, when I was a little girl, I saw Legend of Buggy Creek. And so it had a huge influence on me because, you know, I took it as being a documentary and 
um, my family's from the the South, and so I could, you know, identify with Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas area. And so somewhere, I guess I was around fifth grade, I asked my teacher what I had to do to study Bigfoot for a living, and she said, well, you'll probably have to go into anthropology. And so that is how I became an anthropologist is I just, you know, I, I wanted to study Bigfoot, you know, and I figured it out that I'm not, wasn't going to be able to earn a living studying Bigfoot because nobody believed he was real except for me. And so um, <laughs> the intersect, yeah, the intersect with native stories is, is heavily influenced from where I was, I was born and raised is in Porterville, California. And that is, okay, of course, where the hairy man pictographs are located. And, um, and the natives there on the, the Tule Indian Reservation were quite generous with their knowledge um, about the rock art and their traditional beliefs and those traditional stories. And so it was just kind of a, uh, a natural fit for me to, to start gathering those stories and talking to Native people about what they believed and, and how it affected them, their tribe and themselves. And so it just kind of evolved in, in that sort of way. Mhm. Interesting. Uh so the master's degree in anthropology was able to uh, actually get you into where you could study some of the uh pictographs and and the different uh, artifacts, is that right? No, no, um I I I probably only had my BA then, but um the the pictographs I had actually seen when I was in high school. I was dating a gentleman from the reservation and he took me there. And then later when I was in junior college, my professor had had a high interest in it, and she took us there. Um, my brother is also an archaeologist and told me a lot about it. It wasn't until after um, I had gotten my degree and gotten my permanent job on the Sequoia National Forest, which is the forest surrounding Porterville and the reservation, that um, that I got much more familiar with the stories and, and really got to look at the pictographs of what they meant um so it was it was through my job essentially wow that's a great job and and i know that you um in the book you talk about some of the um the canadian um tribes up there in in thomas's neck of the woods yeah vancouver in particular has a wealth of of knowledge of just beautiful uh, totem poles and stories and and a lot of their artwork representing Bigfoot. They have a, a, a strong belief in Tonaqua, which is the wild woman of the woods, and she has the pierced lips like she's going to be whistling, and she always carries a basket on her back. And so she picks up bad children that um, aren't listening to their parents and scoops them with these big hands into her basket, and she takes them home and roasts them for dinner. And so it's a it's a heavily told story in that general location. And so, and what's interesting is, you know, that's all the way in Canada, but yet we have the same stories down here in California. And when you think about how profound that is, you know, there's when you're talking about even. I know a lot of younger people think the internet's always existed, but it didn't, you know, and we didn't have telephones, you know, for, you know, 600 years. And so for a tribe that is separated by such a a great distance to have such similar stories, uh, I think is amazing. And people should really think about that, that the weight of that is how, how would a tribe up in British Columbia and a tribe way down in central California have have similar stories without the use of the internet or mail or phones or all those things that we we think of today as as how we get information. Yeah, very true. And you know the the the, the stories also um, on our are in different parts of what we cannot now call the United States that are similar to the ones on the the west coast of North America as well. There's some, you know, it's in the inner parts of the states where you can find some of those stories as well. And um, now, Thomas, I know you, you've probably interviewed some people up there um, that have had some experiences that, who who are native. Is that? Oh, absolutely. That uh, Sasquatch here, uh, uh, for with among the First Nations as well. 
the word Sasquatch itself was a mispronunciation and a misspelling of a, a Sahelis word called Saskats, or uh, basically take the word basket and drop the B and that S-A-S. And the man named J.W. Burns wrote an article that appeared in McLean's magazine entitled Introducing B.C.'s Hairy Giants uh, in April Fool's Day, April 1st, 1929, and uh, in McLean's magazine, and he, he took their name, Saskatch, and he misspelled and mispronounced it and called it Sasquatch. It's been known as Sasquatch in Canada ever since. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I wanted to ask Kathy uh, down in California there, and, and uh, you, you reside in California, don't you, Kay? Yeah, yes, I do. Now, the Hoopa people of Northern California, they kind of refer to the use of the term Oma, I believe. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Now, yeah, now the other First Nations down there, the Wootoks, the Yurok, the Shasta, and the Wintu, and the Miwok, do they also use that term, or do they have other terms? Oh, no. Every tribe has a different term for, for Bigfoot. I, I just had a conversation. Yeah, I just right. had a now, conversation noticed, with someone about that. Uh, have you noticed a, a difference in their uh, oral history? No, it's just uh, Native Americans all have what we call language groups. And mm-hmm. so, so, like, the Penutian group that is a language group like you know the same between spanish and and english and so those groups they may have a similar type spelling but they may say it a little differently so the miwok don't speak anything near what the hoopa speak and so i mean you would expect tribes to name things how they how they name things and and actually it's interesting about the miwok is his common name is jayali but they have the most names for Bigfoot of any tribe because they have a name for Bigfoot, the bad Bigfoot that lives in Calaveras County. They apparently didn't like him very much, and so they have a bad word for him. And then they have a a word for one that lives in in another location. And so it's very interesting how – but that's that's how they do things. They have different names. The base of the word may be meadow, but the – other part of the name will describe that meadow, like bad meadow or good meadow or don't go there meadow kind of thing. And so they use the same process for the Bigfoot. But yeah, there's know. lots of names in California. Okay, okay. And uh, in their uh, cultural tradition and all history, uh, there are uh, much um, uh, variants as to what the what the creature is and how it behaves. Oh, yes, for sure. So, like, in, in down on the Tule Indian Reservation, um, he's a good Bigfoot. And, but they're all fairly much described the same, you know, very tall, hair-covered. Um, they have a lot of, of, you know, variance between is he a day or night, you know, animal or not. I mean, there's, there, there's not much consistency with that. But whistles, um, you know, all kinds of different, you know, banged rocks things on trees, sticks, and all that kind of stuff. And But he's a good Bigfoot to them versus, like, the Miwok don't particularly care for him, and they have a traditional story that is associated with um, a time that he tried to basically kill some Miwok and eat him, and they foiled his mm. opportunity and killed him, and his body fell, and there's white rocks where his body is supposed to be, and they they used to have me check on it all the time, make sure those rocks were still there, to so that bad Bigfoot couldn't reassemble himself like Humpty Dumpty and come back together again. So, so I mean, and they're not that. I'm driving. You're three hours difference between uh, the Tule Indian Reservation and where the Miwok Reservation is, and so that's quite a bit of difference in how they hold. Um, Bigfoot to them, you know, the, the Tule Indian Reservation, when you die, it's Bigfoot that comes and gets you, hairy man that comes and gets you and takes you to the other side. And so that's a high, high um, position to be in. And they have some beautiful songs that go with what that whole ceremony uh, is done for that. And if you, on way over here three hours away, if you're found 
you know, in a cave or whatever, and you got eaten by a Bigfoot and your bones get thrown down on the ground, it's, you know, tough luck on you. And so they, they just totally treat Bigfoot completely differently in their culture. So we can basically say to our audience that in, in, in California and probably the same in Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, their descriptions of its physical appearance is relatively the same, but its behavior and characteristics personality-wise is quite varied. Correct. Correct. Right. And and it's the definitely the same in Oregon and Washington where they there's mm-hmm. some bad big splits and then there's some good ones and so I, and you, you have to wonder if 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 it's because you had it really I mean just like humans we have bad people and we have good people and so I would assume all animals I mean I got a cat that tries to bite me every time I look at it versus the cat who wants me to pet it all the time so I would expect that to be true in in a diverse species such as Bigfoot that you have some that are jerks and some are not jerks and and, and they re- are reflected in traditional beliefs that you know the it, I always said it's funny that they have a word for one that lives in Calaveras County and and you can still get that vibe from the tribes in in Calaveras County that they just they just are irritated by him all the time because of the stuff that he does and so maybe that's a whole lineage of family that had a bad attitude you know 200 years ago and now the family still has a bad attitude coming into the future so it's it's, it's an interesting way to to look at things that I, I don't. I wouldn't expect something that's made up to have so much diversity. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, that's find very. Um, it goes very deep into the history, um, and so many different tribes and so many different stories. There, there's got to be some kind of truth, whatever that might look like. There's got to be some type of truth that these. Um, natives had actually been been seeing something um, unusual, not human human like, but not um, you know much bigger. Uh, did did a lot of the stories when they talk about them? Uh, do they call them giants? Are they always like the the bigger type? Oh yeah, I I've only ever heard. I'm trying to think. I've, I I remember one time. I think I was up at the 2003 uh, uh, Bigfoot Symposium that was really historic for its time period where I first met Thomas. In fact, and I was talking to one of the Hoopa. They had come and sat down with me, and we were just chatting and stuff. And one of the ladies told me that um, when she was little, the little Bigfoots would come around and want to play with her. And um, her mom was really upset and told her, you know, I'm just letting you know that, you know, they they do this because they're trying to lure you away. And I just want you to remember that those Bigfoots have different ceremonies. They they do things differently than how we do. And we have to do our ceremonies and sing our songs to the creator the way we do. And so you can't ever go with them. And, and I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, kind of like her mom was warning her, you could get kidnapped here. But traditionally in stories, most of them are full-grown adult Bigfoots, you know, that are the six, seven, eight, you know, foot tall ones. And so there's – occasionally you'll get the, a small one that is um, – but it, I always had the impression it was a full-grown adult, but it was like maybe like a dwarf, but it's not a, not a child. So there's not a ton of stories that involve – um, uh, minor Bigfoot, I guess is what I'd say. Okay, that's interesting. I was uh, fascinated in 2003 talking to some of the Hoopa people down there. Uh, I remember meeting you down there, Kathy, that um, how similar the way they use the Sasquatch, or the Oma, as the Hoopa called it, almost like a... Uh, a boogeyman type thing to get kids not to wander off too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would terrify you if you, if you're being told. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get eaten by this thing if you don't do what I tell you to do. And there and there is an element of that too. But you know you got to think about when most of these stories are being told, they're still with you know haven't had the influence of white settlers coming in from 
you know, from Europe and, and, and coming into the country and anything to be afraid of, you know. So in those days, it's bear, you know, it's rattlesnake, you know. And so, but there's a, you know, to be fair, there is, um, I don't find a lot of snake stories for certain, which you think that would be the one thing you want to tell your kid, you know, that don't put your hand in that you know, rotted out log, watch where you step kind of thing. But, you know, you don't find a lot of traditional stories that say much about snakes other than that they were around. So, but yeah, he, he does form a, it's a form of boogeyman, but a little different than the, our modern serial killer is going to come through your window kind of thing, which, which I'm happy about because, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's a horrible thing to tell a kid. Yeah. And wow. do you find uh, cultures in the Eastern part of the continent rather the same way? Where those stories still exist, unfortunately, we have some pretty big holes, at least that I have. I mean, I, I when I was doing this research, I tried multiple avenues of getting information and data and that kind of thing. But due to a lot of tribal tribes having been moved during like the the the, the trail of tears and other relocation processes, a lot of that culture was lost. And so, in particular, mm-hmm. like I say Iowa, that kind of thing. There's just nothing that comes out of there. And you would, I don't know if that's because there just wasn't Bigfoot there or because they don't have any stories because they've forgotten them or anything like that. But it's, there's several places where I had some big holes that, you know, there's just no data. But more or less the South has a lot of very good stories that are very similar to the West other than a Bigfoot in the South will still, instead of children for food, they'll steal a man or a woman for a marriage partner. And so, mm. and some of those stories are a little graphic. And so they didn't make it into the book because I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's kind of a little different viewpoint. It was um, something to look out for. You could get, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're married and got a bunch of little hairy little kids running around. So, then that's really the only place that that sometimes that occurs in the I should correct that sometimes in the Pacific Northwest so in Washington the or the British Columbia area occasionally there's a story where a man goes seeking a Bigfoot goes seeks Tonaqua because she's supposed to be rich and so he's looking for her so that he can get her money and he might have to propose marriage to her to get her money out of her. But um, but it, it's not very uh, successful in that sense of him uh, uh, achieving that goal. So versus the South, it, it appears to be much more common uh, for those kinds of unions to occur. Hmm. You've got I got nothing to say about that. I don't I don't particularly know why. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the name Sophie Long? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a classic story from the Chehalis Reserve up here from 1871. Uh, As a young woman, she claimed she was captured by a uh, Saskatch, or as we call it, Sasquatch, and uh, he put gum over her eyes and took her off into the the woods on Moore's Mountain, and she spent a number of months with them up there and was impregnated and and she told the story that she asked the Sasquatch to take her back because she wanted to see her people again before she died and the Sasquatch I guess felt sympathy for her and covered her eyes again and dropped her off where he picked her up and her people recovered her and a few few weeks later she gave birth to a a, a deformed baby that died very quickly and that's what, it's one of the classic tales, mm-hmm. and the only photograph I ever seen of Safin Lam was taken in the 1930s when she was a very old woman just before she died. And it's always a it's always a wonder. This is a classic tale. Is it true, or as some say, was she uh, engaged to be married to one man, was in love with another man, uh, ran away with the other man, got impregnated by the other man, and made this story up to cover infidelity. We will never know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate that she lived that long into the 1930s and nobody really, you know, gave her a good interview. But, yeah, it's, no, uh, they, there's a – pardon? 
No, no, she was never interviewed, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. unfortunate thing, and but up there, the stick Indians—that's a common term. I'm not going to try to pronounce what the traditional word is, but that's that's big. Those are children that were uh, captured by Bigfoot, but then raised as their own children. And mm-hmm. so the the children didn't know that they were uh, humans. They thought they were Bigfoots, and they, you know, but if you're, I guess, young enough, you'd forget that that you're not this and you're being raised by somebody who's teaching you how to catch fish by your with your hands and stuff that's natural but yeah it's just that's just much more common in the in the south than in other places and so i and i can't explain that other than it's just you know how they they're telling their stories is that they're you're you know you may not ever get eaten but you may you may be getting married and experience something Mm -hmm. else and, and i can't explain that any other way, so. <laughs> yeah, even even today up here, um, sometimes when a First Nations child goes missing, or even a non-First Nation child goes missing in the woods, uh, First Nations, at least the older people, they kind of look at each other and they say, well, we know what, what happened to them. We know what took them. <laughs> and they say no more about it. Yeah, mm. that, and that's that's I know I've heard that up there before where they, they that's what they're expecting and you know mm. the, and one story that I heard I remember um, the the mother being well he must have been the child would had to be doing something they shouldn't have been doing you know in the mm. sense of we told them not to X Y Z and they obviously did it and that's why this occurred and so it's it is kind of interesting but it's it's obviously deeply rooted in their cultural beliefs and you know and that's one of the things that I've noticed is um or I try to explain is you know I I don't believe in God just because I felt like doing that one day it's because it's a deeply rooted belief to myself and I was taught that over and over and over again as as I was a child and most tribes, you know, when you think of a tribe, you're thinking of a couple hundred people. I mean, that's generally what a village would hold is, you know, it's not thousands. It's just a couple hundred, and you're all somehow related to each other, but you're invested in, in keeping all of you alive and producing and going on in the future. That's what a family unit is. You know, the famous it takes a village kind of comment, but – you weren't always coming together all the time. There were always times when family units, mom, dad, uh, kids, maybe some older siblings and her husband or whatever, would go off by yourselves and do your hunting, do your fishing, do your gathering, doing whatever it is that you need to do. And typically it's winter time where you're coming back together with those uh, foods that you've stored all over, you know, spring and summer when when the food is plentiful. And that's really the the major time where you get a chance to teach um, uh, the kids what your traditional beliefs are, what your traditional dances are, what your traditional songs are. And me, as a a parent myself, I I don't have time to waste with my family on filling their head with gibberish. And I can imagine mothers and fathers have been the same way for thousands and thousands of years. I don't believe in unicorns, so I'm sure not going to spend, you know, days and days of the very brief time that I have with you during the winter because winter's what, three months? And telling mm-hmm. you these fantasy stories about unicorns when it doesn't, that, what does that give you? What What in the world does that add to your life? I'm not going to see a unicorn out in the wilderness or when I'm out gathering my family, so I'm not wasting my time. And and I think when you think of it that way, it, it puts a depth to what Sasquatch was to those cultures, is that they needed and wanted to impart to the next generation, who is then going to teach the next generation about what Sasquatch was and that it's real, and here's what you need to know about this species. And so, um, I, and I really do, sometimes I talk to people and they, and they really are, just shocked. A lot of people don't know that even today and on reservations, there are homes that have dirt floors and no running toilets in the actual home. They're still using outhouses. 
And they go, they have this look on their face like, well, 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 that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's still like that on a lot of reservations. Very poor, very, um, you know, not cared for because of, you know, we can go into the politics of that, but that's still the way it is. And so um, why, why waste energy and time on things that have no meaning to your culture, nothing that's going to keep it alive for another thousand years? I, I, I can't imagine anybody, you know, having, of course, then again, I always wonder why people are on Twitter, you know, what, what, why do you have so much energy and time that you can do Twitter all day, because it doesn't seem like right, you would like right. it's value added anymore, you know, I got more things to do, so, anyway, it's just some, a different viewpoint of looking at it, that, that, you know, what are you going to teach your, your grandson when you only get to see him an hour every three months, you know, what, what, right. what is important to you as a tribe to embark on that young little soul, and then that's all you get, so I, I, I wouldn't, if I only had, you know, an hour, an, uh, an hour, my grandson, Matthew, I'm going to say his name, it'll make him all excited, um, I'm sure not going to be, you know, teaching him, you know, how to, how to paint a house, you know, I'm teaching him the valuable things like, you know, how to how to get food, how to keep yourself clean in the wilderness. You know, those important things that I would like for him to know. Mhm. And that makes a lot of sense and really good point. Yeah. Um because, you know, back then there there were no TVs, there were no uh board games or there were no, you know, everything was uh, time was spent on collecting food to to have enough food to eat, worrying about your shelter, worrying about the horses, worrying about each other. So, yeah, it wasn't like um, just kind of sit around one day and throw out the story, you know, oh, there was this this giant out in the woods and you should be cautious. I mean, it just definitely sounds like, um, you know, like you said, that their time was very valuable and... Um, Wow, that that just kind of makes it, you know, more um, real for me to think about that. I I never really thought about it like that. Well, and most people don't. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's no different than sometimes I, I joke with my kids that. I used to have to make a phone call of that thing that was put on the wall, and I had a very long cord, and by God, you better not mess up the the phone number because that rotary thing, you had to hang up and start all over again. They're just looking at me like, what? And then I uh, talked about my my first master's, my first draft of my master's thesis. I had to type on a, on a, 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 a typewriter. It wasn't on a computer. Couldn't afford computers back then. They had just come out, and they were like, you know, two or $3,000 at the time. And they just... Technology has moved so quickly in such a small period of time that it's hard to think about, you know, back then they you didn't have that kind of stuff. You had you were living day to day with what you could find. I mean, I'm not exaggerating a little bit. Most tribes weren't were very good at gathering, you know, plants, acorns, hunting, all that stuff that went with it. But there was never there's no supermarket. Your supermarket is outside in the forest and that's what you had to do every day in order to survive and so you know you just you don't have time and and worries for things that are nonsense because tomorrow may be completely different and now you're at war with with the neighboring tribe that wants your resources and so it's it's just something to to for people to just download and think in their head about that it this isn't we're not talking about you know, today's standards at all. You can't pick up the phone and call somebody and go, hey, have you heard about this mystery animal? I'm going to start calling Bigfoot, and I'm going to start filing my reports with the BFRO, and they're going to come investigate it, and I'm going to become famous for making up this hoax kind of thing. There's there's nothing like that. It doesn't – there's no value added to it. Right, right. Hmm, interesting. And I want our listeners to know, if you don't have Kathy's book and and you'd like a real good read, you've got to get it. Again, it's called Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters, Bigfoot and Native Culture. Um, Kathy, what 
out of all the stories, um, and I know there were 57 tribes that you, t- you took the stories from, are there any in particular that really stuck out to you as, as the most um, frightening or the most unusual or, you know, what, what was there any that really stuck in your head going through all these? Well, I mean, I have my favorites, of course, that um, I'm very fond of the Miwok, and, and I'm very much uh, want to thank them for taking taking me in that, that we used to have, we, you know, during COVID, I haven't been anywhere, but we have tribal consultations where we sit down and we talk about projects and stuff, and, and they always go wait until the the meeting's over, and they go, okay, Kathy, will you get any new information on Bigfoot? You know, kind of thing. It's, I just absolutely uh-huh. adore that when that happens. And so I'm very fond of their particular stories because they're oh, they're actually associated with um, landmarks that are you can see today everywhere. I mean, I look at one almost every day. Table Mountain is has a Bigfoot story that goes with it, and we wouldn't have Table Mountain if it wasn't for Bigfoot. And so – it's it's those kinds of stories. Um, they were, I, I'm not I'm I'm hard to frighten, and so there's not a lot that um, I found that were so horribly scary that that I couldn't get through it. I mean, I like I said, I left out anything that was sexually explicit because I don't think that's appropriate um, for that type of book. But there wasn't anything like gory or, you know, there. But to me, this scariest thing that could possibly happen is you're sitting in your car and you turn your head and there's Bigfoot's face right in your in your window, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. That that would I would be gone after that. But there wasn't anything that I could remember off the top of my head where I said, Ooh, I'm glad I'm glad I wasn't a part of that. But they there's some ones that are charming and there's some ones that are silly and there's not silly in the sense of of like modern constraints on what funny is but it's just you know that that it was you like for example for the the Tule River Indian Reservation stories they believe that Bigfoot hangs around in our giant sequoias and a giant sequoia is one of the it's not the tallest that's a redwood but is the widest tree anywhere found on earth and so it's they're huge I mean they can be like 300 dbh around uh, the base I mean now you've probably seen pictures of it before and so they're just gigantic trees Mm -hmm. and so for them it made sense giants hanging around with giant trees and so and it's just a charming little story where they uh native american women from that reservation you never find bedrock mortar so bedrock mortar is a granite rock outcrop that have these very beautifully smooth pounding holes in them so if you think of a of a mortar and pestle that you can, you know, grind herbs in today. Mm-hmm. These are their their version of doing that, but it's in a large uh, outcrop, and you sit on top of it, and you pound acorn, or you can pound whatever you want in it, but you grind it. Well, you never find those in giant sequoia groves because women didn't ever want to do that and sit with their back to the, the, red, the giant sequoias because Bigfoot – learned that the sound of that pattern is, is the pounding it has a very distinct sound. It's like punk, clunk, you know, it's very rhythmic. And they would know that women were making acorn. And so then after you pound the acorn, you take the acorn down to some water and you leach it of its tannin so it's not bitter. And Bigfoot would wait for the women to do that process, wait for them to leave, and then they would go steal it. And so that that's why women don't do that. That that's why. Excuse me. <clears throat> Let me take a drink of water here. My voice is getting. Poop. But anyway, that story. That's why women don't have bedrock mortars and giant sequoia groves because they don't a want to bring the bigfoot around and they don't want their their acorn stolen. And so. That always has an effect on you because that that's what we call a lesson story. It's like that's why we don't do that. It's because Bigfoot loves our food, and why would I waste my time pounding acorn because it can mm-hmm. take a long time mm-hmm. leaching it. And then, he I don't even get it. The Bigfoot comes in still, the little turkey. And so, you know, I just that's one of my favorites. And so, I mean, that that's always stood out to me because it's 
Well, that and, of course, the hairy man story that we wouldn't, humans wouldn't have walk on two legs if it wasn't for Bigfoot because Coyote wanted us to walk on four, but that's always a, a good story, too. Wow. Are you, so, Thomas, uh, familiar? do you have any other questions? Or? Well, absolutely. Um, Kathy, are you familiar with the book, The Transformation of Bigfoot, Maleness, Power, and Belief Among the Chippewaian by Henry S. Sharp? Yes, I am. That, that's a good book. There's, there's several an, large... Yeah, published in 1988 by the Smithsonian mm-hmm. uh, Institution Press. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I've seen uh, there's... Parts of it I have I can't haven't afforded to buy it yet, but I there's parts of it I have a because I'm with the United States Forest Service I can see some academic things and so I've seen it that um, that way. Um, but yeah, it's kind of I think in a lot of ways. Oh, go ahead. What was your question? Well, my my, my question is like uh, in the Pacific Northwest, most of the First Nations oral tradition and history concerning these creatures goes back way back to the beginning, long before any of the European settlers came here. But a lot of other places, and this book points out, you have to be very cautious when people say, oh, there has to be Sasquatch here because the, the, the First Nations know about them. And he's talking about the Chippewaian in northern Saskatchewan, Manitoba region. And the first thing that caught his mind was they didn't have their own name for it anywhere in the royal history tradition. They used the American term Bigfoot, so he thought there was something wrong. And he said, yeah, they do know about it. And that's what this Bigfoot. And they learned about it the same way most people learned about it, by reading books, watching television, listening to radio programs in the mid to late 1960s, because that's when almost all the Chippewan references to the Sasquatch began. Yeah. So unlike, and I can, yeah, unlike the West Coast, where the oral traditions of Sasquatch go back to the beginning, a lot of the other First Nation tribes and cultures, some of them do go back way, way back, but some of them, they seem to have learned about it the same way everyone else has. They watch TV, they read books, and they listen to the radio. Oh, yeah, and that's, that's quite possible. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, everybody's a little different, but they may, you know, you have to look at it as did they um, adopt that belief from reason, or is it something that that's, used to happen and they've forgotten about it? That's what the book implies, that the Chippewaian people, Northern Saskatchewan, Manitoba, learned about Sasquatch the same time everybody else basically did. And they they sort of adapt it, but everybody else who gets involved in looking for Sasquatch says, is there Sasquatch sightings in this area of Manitoba, Saskatchewan? And they say, of course they do. The Indians know about it. So it has to be there. It has to be there a long time. And he points out, no, it doesn't. They learned about it the same way you did. They, When all the news came out about the Patterson film in the late 1960s, they, did, they learned about it and started talking about it. And soon everyone believes that they're that the Bigfoot's part of their culture all the way back to the beginning when it's not. It started in the late in mid nineteen sixties, the same time as it did ever with everyone else. Yeah, and, and that's quite possible. I mean, in my book, there's not there's not any stories that are. I consider Bigfoot hitting the mainstream when Jerry Crew, you know, went forward with the the cat. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very careful about what age the stories that I have that I can document that they're pre that time. And so that's, that was very important to me. And so, yeah, I, I certainly believe that it's possible that, that tribes never had a traditional belief and that uh, Bigfoot wasn't in their area. It doesn't mean they're not now because I would expect every animal that's nomadic in, in our country to move to different areas. I mean, resources run out in certain areas, wildfires, cause great um, damage to the resources that are available, and they got to move to someplace else. I mean, I we had one of the largest wildfires in the state of California, not anymore. Of course, this last year, we got wiped out by the massive amount of wildfires we had. But in 2013, it was one of the largest fires at the time. That place is, what is this now? I'm not going to try to count, but we're seven years later, and... The, that area has not recovered. It, it looks mm-hmm. like 
like a bomb went off. And so where are my Bigfoots that I used to routinely go out there and, and search for and found plenty of evidence, footprints, I'd get yelled at on occasion, where did they go? Well, they have to go somewhere else, right? And so resources are not finite. I mean, they they can be destroyed for a certain period of time until Mother Nature does her thing and brings it back. And so it's not uncommon. Maybe that tribe never had Bigfoot before because they're living just fine. If I had a choice to be somewhere, I'd be up in Vancouver, man. That's the place to be. There's fish. There's all kinds of resources. Well, if something happens, all these people are now here and they're, you know, disrupting my resource and crowding me out, I'm going to have to maybe move a little more to, to the east or something to that effect, you know. And so that's that's what I would expect of a normal population of an animal. And we had some uh, some bad wildfires, I guess, two years ago. I've never seen, I live kind of low in elevation because I hate snow. I hate snow so much I, I can't even stand it. <laughs> so we live. Oh, I hate snow. I can't. I can't drive in snow to save my life. I just. It's a slow skid downhill. But, but we. So we live in low elevation. It's pretty rare for us to get any snow of any sort of type. So, but we had some some wildfires a few years ago, and the next thing we know, there's a bear down in our lower field with some our neighbor's horses, and it's just like what. What is a bear doing down this low? You know, there's no <laughs> berries. There's nothing for him to survive on. Well, it's fear or flight. You've got to leave when you're being threatened. And, and I have to have water, and I have to have water. Well, we have a big old trough down there for, for the horses to drink out of, and so at least it's water. So I think you have to think about it that way. Maybe it's, it's possible that tribe had no stories before. doesn't mean it's going to be static. So... Don't don't ever think of the world or people as being static. We we our environment changes and we change and and you shouldn't you shouldn't if they do now believe. I mean you'd have to look at that and say well now we're seeing them. Then evaluate that on that evidence. If, what evidence do you have? What what can you tell me? That kind of thing and and don't go okay. This is not a traditional belief for you. It's a recent belief. It doesn't change that it's still their belief and. You know, I would suspect that in any any tribe that what they held as a belief 15,000 years ago is not going to be the same as they value today. I mean, a, a lot of our tribes, of course, have been introduced to Christianity and stuff. And they're, you know, I've heard plenty, I know of plenty of traditional stories now where they talk about Christ. And so you have to think to yourself, hmm. well, did you actually believe that before? Or is this because a mission came through and told you about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. I agree with you 100%. And another example of that is the uh, the people around the Mount San Helens region. It was always said that the uh, uh, the mountain devil was a was an Indian term. When I when I always thought that was rather strange since they had no concept of the devil until the Europeans arrived. Mhm. Mhm. And they makes it into that. And you have to so you have to look at. Judge that, and I, and I, I, it's been very unfortunate. COVID has just been the beast because, of course, it's taking a lot of tribal elders. And mm-hmm. I always had, you know, very good rapport with them. And I was like, you know, don't, don't put the wool over my eyes. It's fine for you to say, no, this is recent. We didn't believe that, you know, that long ago. Because a lot of elders we're talking about were born, you know, the turn of the century and they, they they hadn't yet been put in the Indian schools and all that stuff that happened. And so they remember and they'll tell you, Oh no, we've never believed that before now. This is something new that this younger generation is full of you know, full of it with and so just just Kathy, don't pay any attention to that. And so I've always valued that with, with elders of being able to say, No, you know, Move on, move on with this, and then um, and but that happens with everybody. I mean, we that I can point to a dozen examples of that in our own culture, where you know, ten years from now, somebody's going to think this something is a normal, and we're like, well, that wasn't normal when I was growing up because some things just get normalized, you know. We don't people not being polite to each other. Yeah, but, one of the most interesting things about our West Coast uh, First Nations oral history tradition is they all have other things in their oral traditions and history that's not related to Sasquatch. 
Whereas up in BC, they have a belief in something, and down in Northern California, they've never heard of it, or vice versa. Yet, for some reason, the Sasquatch, they may have a different name for it or a different belief about it, they all seem to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's in eagle, bald eagle is, is mm-hmm. a common motif. Mm-hmm. Coyote is very common. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of animals that get honored with having traditional stories about them. You know, like in California in particular, we have a lot of condor because condor was pretty extensive here a long, long, long time ago. I I personally have seen one in the wild, which is, is amazing. I've, you know, of course, I'm not going to say how long ago that was because you'll figure out how old I am. Oh, but I am an old person. <laughs> but but um, it, it's based on what – I mean, all, all animals have a habitat, and so you're not going to find grizzly bears in certain areas. They, they can't survive in Texas. No, but nothing can survive in Texas. And so I wouldn't expect a grizzly bear story, but I would expect a black bear story in other places, you know, in in the United States. And so, yeah, I mean, the, there's there's not a lot of animals that are ubiquitous, is, is to put it bluntly. You know, coyote's always a trickster. He's a troublemaker. Because if you ever watch a coyote playing in a meadow, he's got himself a vole and he's tossing it in the air and doing that kind of stuff. So, you know. I expect those stories. But, yeah, Sasquatch is pretty universal, pretty diverse. Julie? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I was – I wanted to – before we run out of time, I just wanted to also uh, touch with the the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. Are you – you guys got a lot of things going on in that area still or – Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then that's where I had my sighting was was down there in Ariat. Mm-hmm. People are familiar with that, and so um, yeah, they're they're still very active. I mean, like I said, COVID's been just just the beast, and we've been careful in the sense of all we need is to give the Bigfoot the COVID, and, and now we kill every population mm-hmm. all through the United States. Right. So thank you. So so we've been very careful with that. We're hoping that this next year is going to be, um, you know, back to normal in the sense. But, yeah, we're still active and we're still trying to uh, prove its existence so that we can get some uh, habitat protection in and, you know, get get this get this finally proven that this species is real. And, and I, I've, I, I didn't have a tribal consultation this year because of COVID, but the year before, I had an elder tell me, he goes, Kathy, it's time for this to be over. We need we need this animal to be proved so that we, Native American, can tell the public, ha-ha, we, we always knew this. Uh, See, that's why you should listen to us. And I thought it was just the funniest thing I'd ever heard. I was just like, I never thought about it that way, that you guys want to rub it in their face. He goes, oh, yeah, no, yeah. we really want to rub it in their face. And I was like, okay. So it was kind of mo- motivation for me. I was like, well, all right, we're 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 on now. We got it. I always do what elders tell me to do, so I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you guys have had some real good results over the years down there, and um, I always look forward to hearing anything new. And like you said, this last year's kind of been a drag on everything, but uh, hopefully moving forward, some of us can get back to our usual program, if you will, and... Um, get back out there and you know it's kind of hard to um get in with the research team you know we have four of us on our team and we just try not to (laughs) you just don't know because you know i've had covid jeff's had covid but a couple other members haven't had covid um we got these new strains coming in now here in north carolina um so you just got to be careful and just ride the time out and i think that uh, they'll still be there when this is over and it's just kind of been kind of a depressor though you know that's for those of us who enjoy that kind of thing going out there and and um looking for and investigating it's it's been kind of rough so yeah it it definitely has and that's that's one of the things about you know, when they review our oral t- tradition, it's going to have something about these weird face coverings that we used to wear back in the, the horrible days. 
it's funny about that, you know. So, but that's that. That's how things start. Is twenty twenty the year of the masked ones? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I wish I was a Well, I'll tell you, it's been, we're getting right on top of the hour already, unbelievable, but um, I want to make sure our listeners know, where where can they get your book at, Kathy? Well, they can get it from directly from my um, publisher, which is HancockHouse.com. They can get it off of Amazon, but it is officially out of print. And so I have been uh, in talks with my publisher of what we're going to do about that, and uh, we don't have a a, a direct um, idea of what we're going to do quite yet because it's, it's a beautiful book, admittedly. It's, it's nice and glossy, and that's very expensive to produce, and so we're not sure mm-hmm. in the COVID that that can be re- redone. Right. And so uh, if you have the book, you're very lucky but if you want it, you better get it because there's not there's I I don't even think there's a hundred left, and so um, wow we'll figure it out no. from there. Yeah, it's it's go yeah it's it's I was shocked. I was like, what really? And yeah, so I may a, add some additional. Go ahead. It's an excellent book. I have my copy here, and you autographed it for me, Kathy, which I very much appreciate it. It's a treasured part of my collection. And I like to tell you up here in British Columbia, I still see it on the bookshelves. Every now and then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We have okay, the same yeah, publisher, you see, Hancock House. So I got the inside. Yes, cool. Yeah, and uh, uh, Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters, Bigfoot and Native Culture by Kathy Strain. I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic read. It's a beautiful book. It is. Yep. Great for anybody's collection of not just Bigfoot, but, uh, you know. If anybody likes to talk about outdoor stuff or, or tribes and that sort of thing, it's definitely a must-have. So, uh, Kathy, I'll tell you what, we have really enjoyed having you on and would love to have you come back. Uh, it's been nice talking to you, and you've always got such interesting stories. So we appreciate you coming on tonight. Oh, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Love talking to you again, Kathy. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll definitely talk about getting Kathy back on in the upcoming future to hear some more of her interesting um, stories. And, I mean, her, her life is just uh, how lucky can you be, right? How, talking to, yeah. to a teacher, well, how do I study Bigfoot when I grow up? Oh, you got to become a anthropologist. Bam, that's what she does. <laughs> She's awesome. So, um, Thomas, do you have any closing words? I just say let's get through this COVID stuff and get back out. I go out by myself. I like to go back out with my group again. Kathy, you keep up the good work. I was hoping to talk to you more about them picture glyphs uh, tonight, but we've run out of time. I'll have to do it the next time. Right. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, everybody, and thank you to our listeners um, out there. We appreciate your support. This was show number 25 of On the Shoulders of Giants. And make sure you uh, check out our Facebook group with the the, uh, Monstrux Radio Facebook group. Um, There's some posts in there from Thomas and uh, different shows that the guys do for Monstrux Radio. So until we meet again... Keep it squatchy. This is Julie Rent.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.